Good morning. My name is Marvin Thomas. I am one of the pastors here at Mount Hope, and it's my privilege to be able to stand here in front of you with a word today. Today we'll be, we'll be talking through Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And I've asked Louis Vialta to read the psalm for us, and it'll be on the screen. Just let it sink in. I want nothing. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you, Lewis. Many years ago, the famed British actor Charles Lawton, many of you may not know him, but apparently he's a big deal across the pond. He had made a name for himself playing characters like Captain Bly and Nero. He attended a dinner party. After the dinner, they all gathered into this one room and they were sharing their favorite stories and their poems. And the, the host of the house, he addressed Charles and he said, would you recite a poem for us? And he, and he agreed. He said, sure. But he said, I need you to pick one up for me. There was an old priest who was in attendance that night. And he said, would you recite Psalm 23? thought it was a little weird. Uh, Charles Lawton thought it was a little odd that he would ask for Psalm 23, but he obliged. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He stood up in his eloquence, in his voice, with the right tone, with the right inflections. He recited the entire psalm. As he ended, the entire room stood up. Applause broke out and everyone was moved. Then the old priest, he stood up. uh, Before Charles had said, I'll do this, he made one condition with the priest. He said, I will recite this psalm only if you do it right after me. And so the old priest stood up. In his rickety old voice, he stood up, came up, and he started reciting, The Lord is my shepherd. He barely made it through, and there was silence in the room. Every eye had a tear in it. Every heart was broken. Charles Lawton came back up, and he said, See, my dear friends, I know the psalm, but my friend knows the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Or you may have heard of the Sunday school teacher, who decided to have her young class memorize Psalm 23. 
She gave the youngsters a month and said, learn it, you'll be asked to recite it. Little Bobby, excited, he was not so much up to the task. He just couldn't remember the psalm. After much practice, he could get, barely get past the first line. On the day that the kids were scheduled to recite Psalm 23 in front of the congregation, Bobby was so nervous. When it was his turn, he stepped up to the microphone and said proudly, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know. <laughs> See, while Bobby's response is hilarious, there is some truth to it. As Christians, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know. I could wrap my sermon up right now. See, in our theology, we affirm it. In our minds and in our, by our mouths, we, we speak it out. We affirm, we say, yes, we profess it. The Lord is my shepherd. But let me ask you a question. What happens when life gets a little rough? Do we live by it? Do we swear by it? Do we hold on to it as firmly when life starts to rock a little bit? When that promotion you were promised, someone else gets it. When the doctor you visited last Friday says, uh-oh. When your child is involved in an accident. When all of your savings you had saved up, you find out one day that someone had robbed it all in, 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 in some scheme. Can we still say, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know? Do you have a relationship with that shepherd like the priests did that would bring conviction to our hearts? The Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know. So today, my task here is this. For us all to face Psalm 23 and ask the question, who is the Lord to me? And you can fill in the blanks. As we go through it, think, ponder, meditate. The Lord is my blank. This psalm... To say that it's a popular, popular psalm is understated. It's a beloved, it's a well-known psalm. Its usage is not limited to the pulpit and to our devotionals. It's been sung at events ranging from funerals to weddings and everything in between. But when it com what comes as a surprise is not just in the church that its effect remains. The psalm is popular amongst the popular the contemporary songs you might actually hear on the radio or on movies. It's been used by artists such as Kanye West, Coolio, Good Charlotte, Alice in Chains, U2, Pink Floyd, The Grateful Dead, Peter Tosh, and so on. It's appeared, the Psalm 23 has appeared in movies like Pale Rider, Full Metal Jacket, Jarhead, Weaver Soldiers, and even the Titanic. It's everywhere. Psalm 23 is so familiar to us in our collective conscience that we often reduce it to a set of cliches. You may have heard, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or some iteration of it being used in everyday language, 
but there is no actual context. There is no actual understanding of what that means. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I, we say that, but not knowing what that really means. When we reduce it to a set of cliches, we, we ignore the richness, the value that's in there between the shepherd and the sheep, between the creator and his creation, between God Almighty and man. There is so much of a relationship that's built into the psalm. So today, who is the Lord to you? In verse 1, the psalmist declares, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some translations put the second part as I lack nothing. I want nothing. But what does it mean to want nothing? I lack nothing because he teaches me to trust for my providence. In verse 2, David writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. David is writing this psalm at the, later, the latter portion of his life. He's been through an incredible amount of experiences through his life. He's been a shepherd. He's been on the run. He's been a king. He's back on the run. And at this point in his life, he is sitting back and he's looking at his life. He's taking stock of his life and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He declares, I lack nothing. Now let me ask you, as we read this, this particular verse, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What comes to mind? If you're like me, this is what you see. Right? How many of you have pictured that every time you read the psalm? On a previous occasion, I mentioned to you that I grew up in the Middle East. I grew up in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And as a, as a child, I remember one day we went on a field trip as a family. We went to a dairy farm in the middle of the kingdom. Now, if you know anything about the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, it's a desert. There is nothing there. It is just barren and dry. But what do you know? In the middle of the desert, this is what you see. It's a dairy farm. A dairy farm with 50,000 cows. Now, you may ask, how do you have a dairy farm in the middle of a desert with nothing but sand and rocks everywhere? Don't you need a pasture? Don't you need something like this? But no. You see, the Arabs built something. This is what they built. They had built expansive pastures. They dug up water from way down below. They, they built these pastures for their cattle. 50,000 cows in that one farm. Now, you may not think of it, much of it, but in a desert, this is not possible. When David is writing the psalm, this wasn't there. There was no pasture that he could just lead them to and set them free and say, go for it. A few months ago, if you were here at our Wednesday night ministries, we held a class called Walking in the Desert by Ray Vanderland. And if you remember anything from that class, he talks about the actual context of what a lot of these psalms were written in. And so he says, let's go back and look at what these green pastures look like. This is what they look like. Now, you may not be able to see it that clearly, but it's a hill. 
of rock and sand. Of rock and sand. It's almost nothing. But he says, look closer. See, for most of the year, this is where the shepherds would take their sheep. I wonder if you could see those little sheep all over. They're in the rocks right there. There are sheep. It may not look like much to us, but the shepherd every morning would lead the, the sheep out into the pastures, and this is what David is talking about. You see, in between those rocks grew little tufts of grass. There was enough moisture in the air for this grass to grow. For most of the year, other than the harvest, this is where they would go. David continues in that verse, he leads me beside still waters. That's still waters. Not much, but it's there. You see, the, the shepherd, when he led his flocks, every morning they went on a journey. They would leave where they were stationed or where they lived, and he would take them on a little journey to find those pastures. He would take them on a little journey to find the still waters. He would have to find them the right spot. Why is this interesting? Sheep are by no means intelligent creatures. If you've been around them, you would know they're just dumb. You put them in a spot, they'll stay in that spot. No matter what comes, they usually get a little freaked out. If they fall over on their side, if you don't pick them up immediately, they can die from it. They're not very agile. They just, they're just creatures for a very specific purpose. They relied completely on their on their herd or on their shepherd. Wherever the shepherd led them, they would go. This meant that any, at any given time, if the shepherd was not there, they were completely lost. So when the shepherd is leading the sheep out every morning, he takes them to this land where it's not green and luscious as we imagine it to be. There is not grass as far as the eye can see. Only the shepherd knows where he can lead them, where they will find the meal for the day. The sheep is completely reliant on that shepherd. He says, he wakes up in the morning and he says, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I don't know where I'm going to get my next sip of water from. But there is a shepherd who knows who can lead me into that green pasture. This is our story. See, shepherds were so closely linked to their sheep that in the morning, even if they were all scattered with other, other flocks, the shepherd could stand up and call out to his flocks and they would all come running to him. They were just so in tune with what, who the shepherd was. The shepherd knew the sheep very well. In, James, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my sheep know me. Jesus declares he is that good shepherd. This is our story. We, just like that sheep, every morning we wake up, we're completely reliant. There is nothing in this world that is in our control. If you really take stock of your life and you really think about what, is, what you are involved in, what you are up to that day, there is nothing that we have control over. One quick snap of a finger and it's all done. We are completely reliant on the shepherd. You see, when, when the shepherd led them into, into the pastures and when he led them to the still waters, he was telling them this one thing. 
I am there with you. I am there to protect you. I am there to guide you. I am there to show you what you need for the day and no more. You see, the children of Israel, back when we go into the Exodus, they were led the same way. This was their story. They left the, the, the place of Egypt. They left Egypt. They left everything that they were used to behind. And now they're in the desert. They have nothing for provision. And God says, I will provide. Every single day, he poured out manna from the heavens, and he gave them everything that they needed only for the day. You see, this is our story. We are so reliant on him as people, as sheep to a shepherd, as people to our God, as children to their father, that he gives us the grace for today. He gives us enough strength to accomplish the task for today. He gives us enough mercy to overcome the sin of today. He gives us enough love. He gives us enough grace that we can make it through the end of the day and not much more. You see, we're completely reliant for, because we cannot boast saying, I have all that I need. The Lord is building us, in us, a reliance on him daily. You and I lack nothing because he teaches us to trust him for our daily provision. Tim Keller shares the story of a lumberjack. He showed up one morning at a forested piece of land. It was his job to clear there were a certain number of trees that he had to cut down. Before he swung the axe, he looked up, and he noticed on that particular tree was a bird making its nest. And he, he thought to himself, and he says, if I cut it down now, it might kill this bird. So he turns the axe around and sm starts whacking the tree, hoping that this disturbance would move the bird away from his plot that he had to cut down. But this bird as he hits the tree, flies out onto the next tree. And he realizes, I can't cut that down until that bird is off. So he moves over, starts hitting that tree. It goes onto the next tree. He starts hitting the next tree. It goes onto the next tree. And for half an hour, he kept hitting tree after tree, but this bird would just not move on. And finally, he comes to his final tree, hits it, and the bird flies off. See, in that moment, the bird was angry. The bird was frustrated. But was it his anger? Was it his ill will towards the bird? Or was it because he was leading the bird out into safety? See, sometimes the shepherd, he knows the dangers that are hidden in the way. And he takes the sheep from one pasture to another. There are paths that these, these sheep have to go through. And they go through these paths. And he says, he will leave them. It is out of compassion, not, uh, not to harass us, that he does this. He leads me in verse 3, David is writing, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The path that the shepherd took from one patch to another to the next were not the easiest to be traveled through. Ray Vanderland continues to show this. This is a path. This is the path that the sheep had to navigate from one patch of pasture to the next. If they were to do this on their own, they would fall, they would break themselves, they would die. But the, the shepherd, he leads them through this place. You see, but as we read through this psalm, there is a tendency. And as we read, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me and he does this for me and he does that for me. It's very easy to become man-centric. It's very easy to say, oh, this is all about me. 
We can read the psalm and say, look how great I have it. He loves me so much that he would do all this for me. I deserve it. This is all about me. Lest we make that mistake, David inserts this little phrase in there, says, it is for his name's sake. He leads me down the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As we travel the path that is laid for our lives, the Lord goes with us, but he does it for his name's sake. God leads us into the paths of love, and he does it for his name's sake. God is the beginning, God is the end of all of righteousness, but it is for his name's sake. I lack nothing because he leads me for his name's sake. The Lord leads us for his name's sake. And in verse 4, he continues, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Since we read about green pastures and quiet waters, you might think that's the blessing of the Lord. But no, it doesn't end there. There's a pilgrimage that these sheep are in, or this, this, uh, the, uh, the psalmist he's in, as he's reflecting back, he says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. See, too often in our lives, we would prefer that we stay in the pastures. We would even risk the pathways as long as we got back to those pastures. But do you know it? Too often in life, we find ourselves in the valley. We find ourselves seeking. Too often, we find ourselves in utter darkness. So when David is writing this the psalm, and he's talking about this valley. He had a valley, particular valley in mind. It's the Valley of Hinnom. This was an area where horrific things took place. Pagans worshipped the god Molech there. And part of their daily worship, they would take babies and children and sacrifice them there. The children were either burnt alive or sacrificed, and their bodies were burned. At a later point, the valley was no longer used for it, and so the people of Jerusalem would use that as a garbage dump. So it would be in there where they threw everything, including dead animals and the bodies of criminals. There were constant fires because they had to clean up that place. There were constant fires. It smelled like death. It, one historian writes, it was so dark that you could put your hand out in front of your face and you could not see it. And David is keeping this valley in mind. This was a valley where robbers would go, and when anyone went through it, they would rob them and beat them to death. And David keeps this valley in mind, and he says, even if I walk through this valley, even if I walk through the darkest times of my life, even though I walk through the shadow of death, you are with me. In terms of orientation, David begins the psalm saying he leads, the shepherd leads the sheep. But all of a sudden, he switches it around and he says, no, you don't just lead me, you go with me. You're right by my side. It's no longer you're off in the distance when I can't even see my hand in front of my face. It's no longer that you're leading me, but instead it is you by my side. Every one of us, we have a valley. We have a valley that we will travel through. You've either been through it, you are going through it, or you will be at some point. This is a guarantee. Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, we will have trouble. 
This is not unduly alarmist. He is not being unreasonably negative. He says it is a nature of human condition. At some point in our lives, each of us will have to encounter a dark valley. We will experience sickness that robs the joy of our lives. We will experience joblessness that, that takes away the last dollar we've saved up. We will experience heartbreak. We will experience death of loved ones. We will experience it all at some point in life. The burden increases us for us as Christians. The world is already hostile towards Christians. We will encounter the valley. Even in these moments, David declares, you are with me. If you were to look at the Hebrew of the psalm, you would notice that the name Yahweh starts off the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And if you walk down a few verses, at the last verse of the psalm, it says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. The psalm is bookended by to the Lord is. But if you were in the actual Hebrew, if you counted worse, word by word, word by word, and you made your way to the middle, the word you are with me appears there. David is very emphatic in saying, no matter what you are encountering, no matter what your life may be in, in, in where you may find yourself in life, no matter what valley you are in, he is with me. His presence is with me. If God's presence is not with us, we are in peril. God's presence and company as a fellow traveler in our life journey is what transforms our emotions of fear and loneliness and, and, and angst, and he turns it into courage and comfort and hope. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There is a sense of confidence that rises in the psalmist, and he looks back at his life, and he looks back at the times that he had to travel the valley, and he says, when I went through all of that, I was lonely, I was fearful, I was angry, I was frustrated, I questioned everything, I questioned God, I questioned my family, things fell apart, but even there, you were with me. The constant in this psalm is not the green pasture. You see, the sheep would move past it. It's temporary. It's not the valley of the shadow of death. David says we will eventually walk through it. The only constant in Psalm 23 is that he is with me. The presence of the Lord never leaves me. From the beginning of the psalm towards the end of the psalm, you look, there is not a moment that Thomas says that he has left me. Today, as you're encountering your situation, and I don't know what that may be, know this, if the psalmist, if, the, if David could be here in the flesh, he would tell you this one thing. He is with you. He is with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. Your season may seem like an hour or like a day. It may seem like a week or even eternity, but in it all, he is there with you. The Lord is with me. I lack nothing because he protects me by being with me. David reminds us that we lack nothing because he first teaches us to be reliant to trust him for our provisions. And he teach, he, we lack nothing because he leads us for his namesake. We lack nothing because he protects us by being with us. God is everything we need him to be. He is our sufficiency. He is our everything. He want, we want nothing because he is our everything. I want nothing 
because he is my everything. But if we lack nothing then, and God is our everything, how do we live it out? How do we put feet to these words? The psalmist calls us to a life beyond the one that we're living. If you read Psalm 23 and you walk away from it the same as when you began it, there's something that has been lost in translation. When you read the psalm, it calls you to action. Let it be known that we may not dine at God's table and abide in the house of the Lord. As we go into the next couple of verses, he says, I will always, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then he goes on to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But he, we, do not, we do not get to do that, walking into it and walking out of it the same way. There is a transformation that happens in our character. There's a transformation that happens in the way we live. So how do we live lacking nothing the way we live must reflect his name in john 10 jesus says i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep this is the extent of the shepherd's love for his sheep he would take whatever the cost may be so that his sheep would have a secure future he would take whatever it may it took for them to be protected from, from the lion. When David is writing, he's looking back and he's remembering the bear and the lion that he had to wrestle. And he says, even there, I will put my life, to, life and limb to the wrist for my sheep. You and I have a shepherd, Jesus Christ. He's the living God who, true to his word, laid down his life for us. This morning we sang and we proclaimed that through the table that we took apart, took part from. He died for us. He came to this earth and he lived among men and then died a horrific death. He took on our sins and our guilt and our shame and ultimately the wrath of God. The shepherd, the good shepherd, lays down his life for his sheep. John Stott, a theologian, says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the, in the real world, world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? Our God is not, he took it upon himself not to be immune to pain. He experienced the same pain you and I go through. He experienced sadness and heartbreak in life. He experienced hunger and pains in life. He experienced what it meant to be cheated. He experienced what it meant to be ridiculed. He experienced what it meant to be chased out because of your, his views. He experienced it all. He is not immune to our pain. He experienced the pain that we experience and he takes it a step further. He experiences the pain that we should have experienced. Also that you and I would be rescued. So that you and I could have a relationship with the Almighty. He does this for his glory and not because we deserve it. It is entirely the favor of God and not our merit. There is nothing you and I could merit God's grace in this instance. He does it completely for his glory. He comes down. He lays his glory behind. He comes down, takes the form of a man, and he gets on that cross. Not because we were worthy of it. Not because we stood and said, look at what I have done. There's nothing that the sheep could have said look oh shepherd this is why i'm qualified for your for your protection this is why i'm qualified for your provision there is nothing that the sheep could have proclaimed there is nothing that you and i could have presented to the lord and said this is why i deserve to be in relationship with you 
And he says, it's my favor. The first question the psalm begs of us to answer is this. Does your life reflect the work of Christ? Have you experienced a relationship with him? Have you received mercy and forgiveness for your sins? Has he restored your life? David exhorts the reader in verses 2 and 3 of being prepared for calamity. He says, expect it. The way we prepare for calamity, and it's evident in, in verse 2, he says, he leads me down. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me to still waters, built, all, built when all is good, and retreat into his presence when things get rough. What do I mean by that? You build your relationship with God in the green pastures because at any time there is a path coming, because at any time there is a valley coming. When things are good, experience the Lord because you will experience the Lord more when things are bad. It's too late to start training for a marathon once the bell goes off. It's too late to take a sailing course once the storm hits. You see, at this point, we should have already been ready. It's too late once the inevitable sorrows of life come out of nowhere and knock you on your knees for you to say, well, now I guess I better build my relationship with the Lord. I guess I better learn how to cry out. I guess I better learn how to seek him when I'm in crisis. You have to already know God and be in a relationship with him before the storm arrives. Otherwise, the crisis leaves no room for us to de develop the kind of confidence in God and his character that will see you through it. He's not a bellman who comes when you ring for him, but he's your loving creator who wants you to make him the center of your life so that when the fringes, when the edges start collapsing, the, so the core still remains. When everything starts falling apart, when family leaves, when jobs are gone, when everything else seems to be falling apart, that relationship with the Lord still stands. He says, build when all is good. Retreat when all becomes tough. We proclaim that I want nothing because he's my everything. Yet we live our lives subject to the attitudes of the world. The psalm begs us. It asks us to look at our own convictions, our political convictions, our economic convictions, whatever you may be, how you experience the world, your worldview. And he says, look at it. Do you proclaim the Lord is my shepherd and, I, and there is nothing more to it? Do you proclaim that's all I need to know, yet you live your life a different way? Do you pick your political uh, allegiances based on fear that's mongered outside? Or do you pick your allegiances based on what the word of the Lord tells you to? Do you make your economic choices? Do you make your relationship choices based on what is available to you or do you base it on what the shepherd leads you into? This evening we'll see a big revelation of who we are as a culture. Greed is the key word of the day. We have a freedom to choose our product but somehow we've lost the freedom not to do without it. There are corporations and companies out there who have tuned into that greed 
And tonight they will pay millions of dollars for a 30-second moment to show you what they're selling. And for some reason, we have this compulsion to go get it. The stats are incredible. Our ideologies, our economic policies, everything is built around, it's all about me. But if we truly lack nothing and we say, the Lord is my shepherd, I find my sufficiency in him, how can we go back into fending for ourselves? The psalm calls us to question our worldview. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Notice what the shepherd provides for. He provides for food, drink, and protection, leading to the safety and security or in short, life as God intends. <coughs> Excuse me. I will submit to you today that we truly lack nothing because he is our everything. Yeah. I lack nothing because he is all sufficient. I lack nothing because he provides for my every need. He protects my every going. He is with me at every step of the way. The psalm starts with the picture of Yahweh leading his people as the shepherd leads his sheep. The, the psalm at its core reflects God's presence with his people, and he ends with the saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Presence in the beginning, presence in the middle, and presence at the end. God is with his people. This is a reminder that Christianity is not so much as a, rela a religion as it is a relationship. God with his people. I'll invite the, the worship team to come back up. When I was in seminary, one of my professors used to share the story. Michael Gerald Ford the son of Gerald Ford, the president. He used to attend Gordon-Conwell back in the 70s. And every time he came into class, there was one, this one particular class that, that uh, all the students were in, and it had two doors. So Michael would come, sit himself right in the middle, and the professor would start professing. And the professor would look out, and there were two Secret Service agents at either door. They were there to protect the son of the president. And the, and the professor, in his true quirky nature, he named them goodness and mercy. You see, there was no place that Michael could go that goodness and mercy would not follow him. If you look at goodness and mercy and you look at the verb in the Hebrew, it does not just mean follow as in a passive following. It means it'll, they will pursue you. There was nowhere Michael could go that goodness and mercy could not find them. And the psalmist says this, I will dwell in the house of the Lord and goodness and mercy shall follow me for the rest of my days. We lack nothing because he teaches us to trust him. For our provisions. We lack nothing because he leads us for his name's sake. We lack nothing because he protects us by being with us. God is everything we need him to be. He is our sufficiency. He is our everything. We want nothing because God is our everything. And if you take away one thing from today, it's what little Bobby said. The Lord is my shepherd and that's all I need to know.